0: Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. God blesses us every day, for every day is the creation of God. And for that reason, it may be rightly said that every day is God's gift to humanity. And of the seven days that God gives us uh, each week uh, without fail, uh, it is today that He has specifically reserved unto Himself. But inasmuch as all time comes from God, it is appropriate that we take time to thank God uh, for the time that He gives us. In Psalm 95, verse 1, the psalmist declares, O come. Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. And inasmuch as God blesses us uh, every day with a new day and blesses us all day through the day, uh, then it is appropriate that we uh, give thanks and sing his praises. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention again this morning uh, to the text that was read into our hearing. Uh, we want to read again there in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. There, Paul writes and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service." Uh, Based on the words of the apostle there in Romans chapter 12, uh, we want to use this morning as a subject, is good good enough? And as we consider the text that we have before us here in Romans chapter 12, Uh, we must appreciate the context uh, of the word good as used uh, in this title. The word good is used with different connotations in scripture and in our modern vernacular. Uh, You can ask somebody, how are you doing? And they can say, I'm good. Now that can mean a number of things. Uh, you know, I'm good doesn't mean I feel good. It doesn't mean that my circumstances are well. Uh, I'm good can kind of mean, you know, I'm managing in spite of the fact that things are not well. When we look at the Bible, the word good is used in a number of ways. Uh, in Scripture, you remember in Genesis 1 and verse number 31. Uh, that the Bible says that God looked at what he had created and it was very good. And and, and if we want to be technical, the, the word good there is not the opposite of bad. It refers to something that is appropriate, pleasing, and beneficial. A good thing meets the need or the desire of the person and is expressly noted because it exceeds the minimum expectations. In other words, when God looked at the creation, he saw that it did exactly what he wanted it to do. And it speaks to intelligent design. Creation is not an afterthought. God didn't look at what he created and then come up with a plan B uh, uh, because it didn't work out. He had a deliberate plan and worked deliberately. And when he looked at what he had created, it, it fit the plan that he had. The word good is used in reference to marriage. Uh, You remember the declaration of Solomon in Proverbs 18, verse 22. He says, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And again, the word good here is akin to the usage in creation. It refers to a quality of something what makes it desirable, useful, or advantageous. You remember God's declaration in Romans, uh, uh, Genesis 2, verse 18, rather? Uh, uh, he looked at the creation and he said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So he made man something good, and Solomon declares, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. So when we talk about marriage, uh, uh, appreciate sometimes people have a bad experience, but it's not because marriage is bad. Uh, uh, if there's a problem, there's a problem with our selection process, but, but not with the institution of marriage itself. Amen. You know, marriage is good, although people sometimes make unwise choices. Uh, uh, now Ahab, who was not the most upstanding fellow to start with, uh, made a bad choice by choosing uh, uh, Jezebel. Now if you're already struggling with your character, uh, you don't need to pick somebody who have character struggles as well, although that might be able, uh, all you're able to get. But marriage itself is good. God says the one who finds a wife obtains favor. And I know God's favor is just a good thing to have. And God said when you find a wife, yeah, you, you've got my favor. That's a good thing. And then the word good is even used in reference to God himself. In Psalm 136, verse 1, the psalmist declares, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And here the word refers to the nature of God, who he is. If you want to understand good in the best context of the term, just look at God. God is good. Why? Because he's love, because he's light, because he's faithful. Uh, because he's omnipotent, because he's omniscient. God is just good because he is who he is. But for our purposes this morning, we want to consider good not as in the context of the creation, not as in the context of marriage, or or not even in the context of God himself, but good in the sense of the bottom rung of the superlative ladder. Now, Now, you know, there's good, there's better, and then there's best. When I read Romans chapter 12, I I, I think that good is just unacceptable in light of what Paul says. Uh, You know how your children are, that they go to school and maybe they get a C, and a C is a good grade, but there's better and best. I, I, I don't want you to get just good grades, especially if you are capable of doing more. If you are capable of better, then I expect you to do better. If you're capable of best, then I sure expect you to do best. And when you are capable of best, then good becomes unacceptable. The challenge of Christianity isn't to attain some level of obedience. The challenge of Christianity uh, uh, is to continually progress to a greater level of service. Uh, We call this spiritual maturity. And my goal ought to be every day to grow as it pertains to my maturity. And when we look at Romans chapter 12, Paul declares to us the standard for giving to God. When one considers giving to God, I I believe that there are at least two primary considerations. When we give to God, the first thing we should consider uh, uh, is the person of God. Uh, uh, the wise man declares in Proverbs 3 and verse number 9, he says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the fruits of all thine increase. Now, now here's a principle. Whenever you give to God, God ought not ever get leftovers. It's just an insult to the person of God. God ought to get the first portion of what we have. It, 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 when I give uh, 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 in the collection on Sundays, God ought not get leftovers after I paid my bills and all my other expenses. God's portion ought to come off the top. And if anybody is left holding the bag, then it ought to be the luxuries and the bills that we've acquired as we go through this life. But God ought to get the first fruits. But then not only should we consider the person of God when we give, but the second thing that we ought to consider is the example of God himself. When you look at how God gives, you know, God never gives just good. God always gives the best. You remember the declaration there in John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, When God saw us in need, he gave and he gave heaven's best. God doesn't ever give leftovers. Uh, He does not ever give grudgingly or or of a sense of necessity. And when we consider the sum of these things, I I, I believe that God is worthy of receiving better than that which is good. You know, it's good if we come to the worship assemblies on Sundays. That's good, but we ought to come. You know, it's just common courtesy when God blesses us seven days a week. It's just common courtesy to come and tell God, thank you for blessing me especially when you bless me in spite of me. But when we talk about giving to God, God ought to get my best. Uh, And so when we look at Romans 12 in verse number one, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of the fact that God has been so good to us, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul says if you just look at this thing from a rational standpoint, in light of who God is and in light of what God has given us, we're really not doing a whole lot if we give God our best. Paul said that just makes sense to me. When you bless me in spite of me, when you show me grace and mercy, and then i give you my best that that's really just appropriate in light of what god has done for us but that notwithstanding i submit to you that some are content to give god less than their best you know sometimes when you read the bible the bible is just challenging now it doesn't challenge us all in the same ways uh, uh, but I've never met a person yet that was honest and said, well, yeah, everything in the Bible, you know, I would just do that anyway. You know, the Bible just calls us to a higher standard of living. It, when Jesus says, love your enemies, I, I, you know, now th- there might be some Will Rogers feeling people among us, but, but, but I think loving your enemies is something we do because God's spirit is working inside of us. And when we talk about the idea of being challenged, appreciate that it's not always inability that keeps us from performing. Now, there may be things that are beyond our ability. You know, I, I can't run 100 meters in, in less than 10 seconds. That's just beyond my ability. You know, even if you take me back to the days of my youth, uh, that might still be beyond my ability. There are just some things that are just beyond what God has blessed me to be able to do. But, but, but I believe if we look at uh, uh, ourselves honestly, you know, every dropout is not academically inept. Uh, I believe there are some people that just drop out because they just, you know, they just not feel in school. Uh, I'd just rather do something else than apply myself academically. Uh, every poor person is not a victim of society or circumstance. Now, mind you, I believe there are some people that, uh, uh, you know, unfortunate things have happened to them but but I believe there are some that their lot could be better if they tried harder. In the same way, those that don't serve God don't serve God because they can't, but because they won't. It, when it comes to serving God, I, I believe we need to remember Philippians 4, uh, 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 verse number uh, uh, 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, now Paul is not saying you can do anything. But in the context, what he is saying, when it comes to being a faithful servant of God, in Christ Jesus, God gives me everything I need to serve him faithfully. It's not a lack of water that keeps sinners from being baptized, nor is it always sickness that keeps a saint from assembling. You know, we we don't show up. I'm not just gonna tell you I sat home because I had a bad attitude. You know, we, we always got a song and dance for why we don't perform to our best. But, but I believe sometimes we struggle by choice. And, and when I say that, I mean, you know, choice, you, you can make poor choices. You can make bad choices. You can even make uninformed choices. But some, some of our struggles are self-induced. And, and, and I'm not trying to diagnose everybody's individual situation because sometimes you might just be like Brother Joe where God can just count on you to the level where he can bring your name up in conversation and, and allow you to suffer things and know that you'll be faithful. But I believe some of our struggles are self-induced and sometimes we struggle by choice. Now, now preacher, how do you arrive at that conclusion? Well, I submit to you, number one, that Christians have two types of storms. And by this, I mean storms of life. Trouble comes to us uh, uh, in two primary ways. The first one is that we have storms of perfection, where God allows trouble to come to us because he's trying to mature us and and help us grow in our faith. I, I, I think of James in James 1 and verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. God is telling us, I can use trouble to mature you, to help grow your faith. Sometimes we have storms of perfection. And then sometimes we have storms of correction. Now, a storm of correction is when, when I'm out of line with the word of God, the will of God, and, and God just allows some trouble to come my way to help get me back in step. Now, now, when we're dealing with our children, usually the thing we use to help get them back in step is a bell. You know, you, you know that, that storm of correction will help you get back in step. Sometimes God uses the belt to help us get back in step. It, it, my storms are not always because God is trying to grow my faith. Sometimes God is trying to get me back in step. God, God saying, Rick, you need to do better. You need to obey my word. And I put hard consequences in wrong choices, and that will help you get back in step. Now appreciate uh, uh, storms of correction stem from disobedience, rebellion, or unfaithfulness. You know, God never corrects us just to be correcting us. Uh, You know, he just never wants to flex his spiritual muscle and just beat us for the sake of beating us. There's always a deliberate intent with the storm of correction. If you look with me in in, uh, Haggai chapter one, uh, starting at verse number three, There we find that Israel chose to give God less than their best, and so God sent the storm of correction to help get them back in step. Uh, In Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse number 3, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie in waste? Now, this is during the Reconstruction. Uh, The Israelites decided we're going to take care of our stuff first, and and the things of God will just wait till we get our business together. You know, sometimes people will take that approach to life. There there are some people that, you know, after I get my life together, uh, uh, then I'll obey the gospel. Uh, After I get my finances straight, then I'll start giving. Once things calm down, then I'll give the Lord more time. That is, in principle, what Israel was doing in the text. Now look at verse 5. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. See, God is trying to reason with it. Now think about it. Is it reasonable to put me last and take care of your stuff first and then deal with me if and when you get to me? God is saying you've given me less than your best, and and that's unsatisfactory. In verse 6, he said you have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough, ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink, ye clothe you, but there is none warm, and he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord." Verse nine: Ye look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. God says, when you give me less than your uh, less than your best, I'm not going to bless your efforts. Uh, You're gonna find yourself in one of those. Every time I take a step forward, seem like I end up two steps behind. God said, now stop and think about it, why is that? Because you all are not giving me your best. You'll never make any real progress as long as you put me on the back burner. Uh, Until I become your priority, and until you give me the best, God said, you're fighting a losing battle. So not only is giving less than my best an insult to the person of God, it's also counterproductive to my own interests. But then there is a second consideration back there in Romans chapter 12. In verse number two, Paul says, "'And be not conformed to this world, "'but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, "'that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable "'and perfect will of God.'" Now notice what he said, "'Be not conformed to this world.'" I I, I submit to you second this morning that some want you to give less than your best. You you ever heard the old expression, misery loves company? You know, if I'm flunking in school, then it's all right with me if everybody else flunks too. You know, when I go home, one of the things that I'll try to use as a defense is I'm not the only one that failed. Now, now if you come from a proper house, your parents don't care about what everybody else did. I'm not everybody else's parent, I'm your parent. And the fact that that, that other people fail does not excuse the fact that you fail. But if you have no aspirations, no desire to achieve, then it's likely that not not only will I not encourage your aspirations, but I will endeavor to undermine them. See, there are people that will try to hinder rather than help if you try to do better or do right. You know, if I'm not going to give God my best when I come to, uh, to the worship assembly, you know, if for whatever reason, I'm in a bad mood, whatever the case might be, if I'm not going to sing, then it's likely that I'm going to discourage you from singing. You know, there you are, you know, making a joyful noise to the Lord, and I'm going to look at you when you're making your noise. Now, now I'm not going to be mindful of the fact that God said make a joyful noise, I'm going to note that you don't sing very well. Well, according to who? Yeah, now, is God listening to what's coming out of my mouth or is he listening to what's going on in my heart? Yeah, but if I'm not singing, then I'm going to be critical of what comes out of your mouth and I could care less what's in your heart. I, I, I'm not concerned about the fact that God has been good to you and you're singing of the overflow of your spirit. and That could mean less to me. If I don't sing, I don't want you to sing. If I'm in a bad attitude, I don't want you to get anything out of the message. Uh, uh, if I'm in a bad mood, the service is too long. There's no reason why if we start at 8 o'clock, we can't be finished by 9 on the dot, not 9.01 in 15 seconds. You know, that just mystified me. God gives us time. You know, and he calls it the Lord's day. He doesn't call it the Lord's 60 minutes. You know, as long as we finish sometime on Sunday, or even if we run into Monday, I read one time where, you know, and now they didn't mark time as we did, but Paul preached until midnight. That means he started one day and didn't finish till the next day. We got Bible precedent for worship being over when we're done, not not, not according to the clock. Now that's free. (laughs) The non attendee tries to discourage the attendee. Some people want you to give less than your best because if you're giving your best, when I'm not giving my best, then it makes my less than best look worse. And depreciate. appreciate, uh, this was one of several rebukes by Jesus to the Pharisees. You remember the words of Jesus, Matthew 23, verse 13. He said, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. See, it's that same mentality. If I'm not going to obey what's right, then I don't want you to obey what's right. Jesus said, you all won't submit to the will of God, and then you stand in the way of other people that would. Some want you to give less than your best. But whenever that is the case, the one thing you can be sure of if they don't have my best interest at heart. And again there in in Romans chapter 12, verse number three, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I, I submit to you this morning that God empowers us to achieve all. And again, when I say achieve all, I mean as it pertains to uh, uh, accomplishing his will and being about his business. When you look at what God makes us able to do, God empowers us to live on a higher plane, think in a nobler way, and love in a deeper fashion. There are things that we do in Christ Jesus that not only could we not do outside of him, but we wouldn't even aspire to do outside of Christ. You know, who who would just set your mind on things above in everything uh, outside of Christ? You know, that's why we have things that we're still working on, because God just calls us to a different way of living. But I think many would be amazed at at the possibilities that are open to us uh, by the power of God when we obey him. You know, when you obey God, God can just use us to do some incredible things. When we obey God, God could use us to do things we never dreamed of. That's really what we learn when we read the, uh, uh, the Bible. God used everyday people to do things they never would have dreamed of. You know, Gideon wasn't a warrior, but, but I'm going to use you to deliver Israel. And Gideon just, he couldn't see it for looking. You, you're going to use me, but, but I'm not a soldier. I'm not a fighter. But Gideon, it doesn't rely on on what you can do. It's what you can do when I work through you. In in Ephesians 3 and verse number 20, Paul says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above. You know, when you put those three words, you're talking about the, uh, 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 the unlimited power of God. Exceeding abundantly above. Paul said, this is the kind of power God has. It is exceeding abundantly above. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You know, that's why we have those moments. Sometimes you just look back in your life and all you can do is just shake your head. Man, because God just did something above, way above what I was able to think or ask. Man, you could give me a hundred guesses at this one, and I wouldn't have hit that for trying. Paul said, that's the power that works in us. Part of our problem is we need to learn to let God be God. My job is not figuring out the details or seeing how it's going to work. My job is to be obedient to what God said. Now, now, when I know what God knows and I can do what God does and I can think on the level that God thinks, uh, then maybe I can give him, uh, 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 you know, some, uh, uh, some advice. But until that time, I just ought to do what God told me and, and be aware of the fact that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. You ever hear somebody talking about they can't see when you tell them God's will? I just can't see why I have to be baptized. I just can't see why there's one church. Well, well God didn't ask us to see anything. I, I believe Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. See, your job is just to do what God told you. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above. And, and it's so far above until if he showed it to us, we wouldn't believe it. You know, that, that was Peter's problem. Lord, if you were able to do exceeding abundantly above, bid me to come out on the water. Come on. And Peter, get out there, and he's doing exceeding abundantly above. And you imagine we had been at Peter walking on water. And it wasn't even still water. This was stormy water. I mean, walking on still water would have been something. But you out there walking on the water when the wind and the waves are going at it. And Peter decided, you know what, I'm doing exceeding abundantly above, but I can't do exceeding abundantly above. <laughs> Sometimes we have that same experience in life. God said, let me be God. The, the exceeding abundantly above is up to me. Your job is just to be faithful. But well, don't tell God what he can't do. God says, I'm so far beyond what you can imagine that when you see it, all you do is shake your head in disbelief. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above. God just said, Just give me your best. Present your body as a living sacrifice. You know what it means to sacrifice something? Not just offer, but, but offer at a cost. Give your life up to me. Don't just fill me in where you have time. You know what we do sometimes? We build a life, we get a job, we get involved in things, and then, Lord, whatever time I have left, Uh, If I'm not tired, I'll give that to you. Now, you better go back to find what happened to Israel when they gave God leftovers. God said, that's why you don't prosper. You're just trying to fit me in around the edges. No, I am your life. I put you here to glorify me and to honor me with the life you lead. Everything else is incidental. Now, if you got stuff in your life that pushes me out, then it's not me that needs to go. It's the other stuff in your living. I need to come first. God said, and then you look back and you know you haven't been able to make any progress. Why is that? And then notice what he said to Israel. Consider your ways. The problem isn't that I'm not able. The problem isn't that I don't keep my promises. The problem is you're giving me less than your best. Is good good enough? Well, Caesar gets you a diploma. It allows you to graduate. But I don't think seeds will find you hearing God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant in the last day. Because God empowers me to do better than good. You know, we ought not look for minimums. You you ever talk to somebody, you know, they're not giving God their best, and they'll say, well, at least. You You don't want to talk with God about at least. You know, At least I'm not out there in the world running wide open yeah, you know, when you, when you say at least, that's where you are, at the very least. I need to give God my best. And notice what God said, just give me your best day by day. You don't have to worry about giving me the best the rest of your life. You don't even know how long that is. For all you know, today may be the rest of your life. Give me your best Today. And watch me do exceeding abundantly above all that you are able to ask or think. God calls us by the gospel of Christ Jesus to become part of his family that he might empower us through his spirit to give him our very best. And he calls us by the preaching of the gospel message. He requires that we hear the good news of Christ Jesus, Romans 10:17. That we believe Jesus to be the Christ, John 8, verse 24. That we be willing to turn from sin uh, and and turn to him, Acts 17, 30, and 31. Uh, That we make the confession of faith in Christ, Matthew 10, verse 32. And that we be baptized in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. And thereafter, God requires that we live a life that glorifies him. Uh, uh, First Peter 2 verse 9 Peter tells us that we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people that we should show forth the praise of him that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light that's just another way of saying God calls us to give him our very best perhaps you're here this morning you want to respond to the invitation or you want the church to pray for you And if either of these are the case, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation.